Okay, in Joshua 1, uh, we saw as the Lord said Moses is dead and Joshua is to lead the people into the promised land. Um, and the, te- the words, be strong and courageous, are used frequently in Joshua 1 as instruction for the people. Now, one of the things that I ask, and I don't know if I ask it very well, uh, but look at 1 verse 18. Joshua 1 and verse 18. Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. In the first five books, in Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy, who are a group of people that if anyone doesn't listen to, they are to be put to death? Rebellious children. Okay, rebellious children are examples of that. Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21. That's one example that that's correct. Uh, what else? In Deuteronomy 17, 12, you see this is said for the priest. Uh, The man who acts presumptuously by not listening to the priest who stands there to serve before the Lord your God, uh, nor uh, to the judge, that man shall die. Thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. The rebellious son uh, is to be killed for not listening to his parents. The priest or the man who gives judgment is to be listened to upon the penalty of death. But but also look in Deuteronomy 18. In Deuteronomy 18, uh, the Bible says in verses 18 and 19, uh, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Now, it doesn't use the word death, but it does emphasize that whoever doesn't listen to the words, I'll require it of him. This, in context, is talking about prophets. It's talking about prophets, Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 22. The reason that I stress that, while he is not specifically called a prophet within this book, I think Joshua is taking the role of a prophet among the people that whoever doesn't listen to his word will be cut off. Now, that's not said within the book. Joshua's not said to be a prophet within the book of Joshua. But do you know that the books from Joshua to Kings in the Hebrew Bible were called the former prophets? That's the way they call it. We speak of them as history books. They spoke of them as books of the prophets. But 
Joshua is a Joshua is a prophet among the people. And if you look back in verse nine, eight and nine, when Joshua is called to meditate on the law of the Lord, when he's called to meditate on God's law, I think that Joshua, though, again, he's not specifically this, but he is the closest thing they have to a king. Just as the king was to write a copy of the law and to meditate on it, uh, so Joshua is to meditate on the word day and night. Joshua is like a king in many ways, like a prophet among the people. Anything else there or on Joshua 1 that you might have a question about or a comment about? Anything. How did you all outline chapter 2? How did you divide it up at first? Ella, you're looking like you're taking diligent notes there. You're taking diligent notes on what we just go over at the time and not not so much looking forward to looking back at where we've been. And, uh, okay. How would you, what happens in this first section of Joshua 2? The two spies' mission. Okay, the two spies are sent on their mission and they come to the house of Rahab. Uh, If you haven't already, be paying attention to your footnotes and side notes and we want to see where Rahab is mentioned in the New Testament. Um, But Let's look at verses 1 through 7. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight, to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you and who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she brought them up to the roof and hidden them in stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan to the fords and as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out they shut the gate. Now Joshua sends out verse 1 Joshua sends out Two men from uh, to spy out the land of Jericho. Uh, I want you to be thinking, and this is something I should have asked already. What's the purpose of this visitation? Because they really don't come back with any kind of military advice, do they? They don't come back with any kind of strategy or any kind of suggestions. But but just just think about that. What what is the purpose of their visit. 
And they come to the house of a woman who is a harlot, Rahab. Now, from early times, people worried about this. And Josephus talks about her as an innkeeper. Um, um, and maybe the picture is of some kind of a, of a tavern type scene. I think of the Old West. Uh, by the way, I recently found out, this is just a little bit of uh, a trivia, show you how well-rounded I am, um, that um, on the original season of Gunsmoke, Miss Kitty was more of an adversarial character who had run-ins with Marshall Dillon, and eventually, of course, they're portrayed as friends and stuff like that. Um, why do I say that? When I think of a tavern and an innkeeper, I think of her situation. That's about the closest I've ever gotten to, to being around that, my dad, watching my dad watch Gunsmoke. Uh, yes, man. Gunsmoke, yes. Gunsmoke, back in the day we had something called television. That, 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 was, that was a program back there a long, long time ago. And, um, but um, I, I used to say about my dad, he uh, tames the Wild West every day uh, with uh, some of the shows that he watches. But, uh, but anyway, the point, is she a full-blown harlot? Or not. The New Testament, written in a different language, also speaks of her as a harlot. Uh, and I think part of the point here may be that this was the kind of person that people could come and go from her house. Men, particularly, could come and go from her house and avoid observation. But they don't avoid observation. There's a complete spy network here. And word comes to the king of Jericho that someone has come. Someone has come into the land to spy it out. They go to Rahab's house. They said, bring out the men. The text tells us she had hidden these men on the roof under stalks of flax. And she says, I do not know where they're from. I did not know where they were from. And I do not know where they got went. But they have already left. But again, verse 6 comes back. It is carefully written to tell us that she has laid them on the roof under the stalks of flax. And the men go out and pursue them on the roads. And she shuts the gate. Now, all of this is preliminary to her powerful speech that she is going to give in verses 8 through 14. Uh, but a couple of things uh, in the text. Notice that Jericho has its own king. When we're going to get to other cities, we're going to find they have their own king. When we get to Joshua 12, we will find that Israel conquered 31 cities with kings. The king of Jericho. She says, and he hears this news. They're not the cities of Canaan are, are separate cities uh, with separate governments. They do not have one central government. Now, 
I might as well go ahead and ask me what you're thinking about in this in this text. Okay, good. If you're not thinking about it, I don't want to introduce it. Um, there were some subjects that I had really prepared myself for in teaching college and how I was going to answer it and it was never asked. And there was another question or two that I really wasn't prepared for that was always asked. One that was always asked, always asked, was who are the sons of God in Genesis 6 every single year. And I don't know if it is a fascination with science fiction that leads to that. I'm not saying that I can't see legitimate grounds for asking the question. But I don't know why that would come up every single year like that. And in this case, let, let, let me say this. Um, it is hard to say that Rahab is honest here. She knows the situation and she doesn't tell the truth. And we know what the biblical view of that is. I hope we do. That we're not to be dishonest. Yet at the same time, if someone was sheltering spies from a government that wanted to destroy them. Like those who hid Jews from the Nazis in World War II. If someone knocks on the door and says, are people in there? Well, I can't, can't be dishonest about this. Yeah, I'll show you where they are. Um, I think there are circumstances where there is no good answer. <laughs> There's circumstances where there's no good answer. But we know the, te the teaching of the Bible that we need to tell the truth. We, need, we know the teaching of the Bible that we may protect and preserve other people's lives. I don't think as one commentary I was looking at that we should spend much time either condemning her or commending her for this. Neither what, and and uh, what she is complimented for is her faith and her active obedience, as we will see later, and as we talk about verses eight through fourteen, that may come out. But but what other thoughts do you have right there? Anything? What was the answer to your original question? Why did they go to the city? They didn't gather any useful information. Yes, I, I, I'm trying to get you all to think about that. Okay. And uh, I so I don't want to. I don't want to play my cards all at once. Uh, but but so just keep thinking about that. Well, the Rahab situation is the same as the uh, midwives, the Egyptian midwives. Who yes. Betray. Yes. The Hebrew mothers who had. It is the situation. They were it, also caught between the rock and the It is a similar kind of situation. And I can envision 
those midwives carefully arranging it though that they didn't show up in time maybe for those births but it's, uh, but, but it's the same basic yeah they same said basic Hebrew principle. women are different from Egyptian women and that's yeah. not true yeah yeah they're, they're lively they give birth yeah. uh, they give birth before we're able to get there so it is the same kind of situation as Exodus 1 15 through 21 it is and they were rewarded again not necessarily and the Lord was good to the midwives but, but because they honored yes. God yes. they wanted yes. to protect God's people yes and and remind me of that story if I forget it when we've gone through verse 14 because there's one point and make up at the end of that boy I'm just uh uh, I, this doesn't answer your question, but I'm just amazed at how much she knew. I mean, they came to the right place. Uh, that, that, that had to be God's doing. Yes. Uh, I mean, she, she was so filled with information about them, uh, about Israel. And about God. About God. I, I, it is just amazing that, that yes, yeah. Yeah, if that's the case. Did you have thought, Bob? Just as this plays out, you just see the providential hand of God. Surely those who were in the midst of it had to see it too. Yes. And then when Rahab preaches her little sermon here, uh, she she girds them up even more. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and I and I like because it is kind of a little sermon. Um, one writer said, and I didn't compare this, but this is one of the longest in a in un, uninterrupted speeches by a woman in Scripture. And, and I hadn't thought about that. Now, it's, it's not saying the longest, but one of the longest, they stated. But what all do they, does she say about God? Boyd said about the things she teaches about God. What are those things? Particularly, we'll see this through verse 11. But let's read through verse 14. Start at verse 8. Now, before they lay down, she came to them on the roof and said to the men... <clears throat> I know the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord that I have, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household and will give them a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. What are some things that Rahab affirms about God and about Israel? What are some things that she says here, Andrew? 
recognizes that the Lord has given the land to them. Okay, the Lord has given them the land. Now this will not be said as often in chapter 2 as it was in chapter 1. Chapter 1, it was said all over the place. Here it is said in 2.9, in 2.14, the spies will allude to it, and in 2.24, that is the report to Joshua. But she says it in 2.9, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Also something that, that was helpful to me in appreciating this text, remember when the they come to her about the spies. She said, I did not know where they were from. I do not know where they went. Those things were said in verse 4 and verse 5. She tells them, I, I don't know uh, where they came from. I don't know where they went. But here she affirms, I know. I know. With all that she's acknowledging in the text that she didn't know, which of course she really did, but all that she's acknowledging that she didn't know, we know, I know, the Lord has given you the land. What else? What else does she know? Crossing on dry land. Okay. She knows not only about the future, is this statement, but what has happened in the past that uh, the Lord divided the waters of the sea and let Israel cross on dry ground. You see that in chapter 2 and verse 10. So she knows about God's victories in the past. Now, one of the reasons that God was so long-suffering with Pharaoh, gave Pharaoh so many opportunities to humble himself and turn to God, one of the reasons for that is God had raised him up, Exodus 9, verse 16, in order to show my power and to proclaim my name through all the earth. God's very purpose in doing all these things with Pharaoh is to proclaim his name through all the earth. We see here that it was affected. We see that there's reference by foreign peoples of what the God of Israel has done. Now, there are other examples like this in Scripture. There are other examples of foreigners speaking of what the God of Israel has done. Look in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 4. We're we're late in the time of Samuel before we're introduced to Saul. Who would have been the enemy in this particular time? 1 Samuel 4. Philistines. Philistines are the enemy. In 1 Samuel 4, 8, when the Israelites carry the Ark of the Covenant to battle, in 1 Samuel 4, 8, Woe to us! Who shall deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with plagues in the wilderness. So here in 1 Samuel 4, 8, the Philistines are referring to these things as well. Look at 1 Samuel 6 and verse 6. In 1 Samuel 6 and verse 6, why do you harden your hearts? Now this is the the priests of the Philistines talking to the people of the Philistines. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? 
All of these, 1 Samuel 6, verse 6, are references where foreigners make reference to God's deliverance from Egyptian bondage. God is proclaiming His name through all the earth through that series of events. Rahab knows about it. So she knows about what God's done in the past. He knows He's divided the city. Israel's left Egypt. Israel's crossed over on dry land. What else does she refer to in the past in verse 10? Sihon and all. Okay, the Lord gave them victory over Sihon and Og. And those events were recorded in Numbers 21 in verses 21 through 35. Sihon and Og were powerful men personally and they, they led big armies and these victories were also very well known and they will be referenced many times in the Old Testament. Now, you notice though, if you really look closely at the text, when, when Rahab starts speaking, she says, I know in verse 9. She says, I know. But then she talks about the terror of you has fallen on us, verse 9. In verse 10, we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. In verse 11, when we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in us. Both verse 9 and verse 11 talks about the impact this had on the people and the people were overwhelmed with fear. But, but this is what I want to stress. Not only does Rahab know these things, but we know what God has done in the past. Our hearts are full of fear. How many of them are submitting to Israel's God? At least this one. At least this one is. But, but interestingly, she says at the end of verse 11, For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. That sounds a lot like Deuteronomy 4. Verse 39, Know therefore today and take it to heart that the Lord, He is God in heaven above and on earth below, there is no other. Let me ask you a question. Did Israel, where these events were constantly preached and proclaimed and remembered, did Israel always serve the Lord? Sometimes Israel didn't have the good sin. To come to this conclusion. And Rahab is affirming this. Now, I, I don't know sometimes if we, and I don't know sometimes if I, properly appreciate the precarious position that Rahab puts herself in. Here. What were the consequences if you were hiding Jews from the Nazis if they found out. All of Corrington Boone's family died in concentration camps. Except her. She lived to tell the story. 
What would have been the consequences for Rahab had it been found out that she's harboring these spies? I don't know that I fully appreciate <coughs> the faith that she had to have to do that. I mean, that took a lot of faith. That took a lot of trust. It took a lot of courage for her to do this. And she knows. If she knows the Lord's given them the land, and she doesn't know her plea for mercy is going to be accepted either. And yet she makes it bop. Well, it's the perfect storm, but she, she came to the realization Israel was... Uh, being marshaled by God on high mm -hmm. to resist that, yeah, was un, just not not an option for her. Exactly. So it isn't, and you're right. I want to build on that in a second, Brad. Yeah, we'll probably look back on this, but um, when we get there, but there's so many parallels to the Gibeonites. Yes, and yes, there are. They knew that Moses had mm -hmm. given them the land. They, they were like, we can't stand against this God, and their hearts melted uh, as well. I don't think it says that, but I mean, you see the the emotion. I don't think it uses the, our hearts melted because they're claiming to be you know from a faraway land, but right. but 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 it and does lied and yeah. deceived in order yeah. to find favor with God. And it, but if they are invoking. The same events. They also refer to the dividing of the sea. They also refer to the to Simon and Og. Um, but but she really is. I mean, what her situation is. She knows her people are doomed, and God is giving the people the land, and she knows the only way to life is submission to Israel's God. But this is the thing that gets me, and I guess it shouldn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise me. But she says, we all know what your God has done. We all know what he did with Egypt. We all know what he did with Sihon and Og. All our hearts melted. But they're all going to fight together and resist till the very end. And does that make any sense? I may go into this more someday in illustration. But I can remember talking with someone when I was young. It was like me at the time. I was 13, he was 14. And we both knew better than what we were living. He was supposed to have been baptized Christian too. Who never became thankful. Then he passed away. But he says, I wish I was never born because I know I'm going to hell now. If that's the situation, I don't change. And then he, he, he died early uh, for things he brought on himself by alcohol. Um, why, why don't we take heed and learn? But they didn't either. They were so hard-headed. 
And they're going to fight to the end even though their hearts are overwhelmed with fear and they know they're going to lose. But but in verse 12, Now therefore please swear to me by the Lord since I have dealt with you, I have dealt kindly with you that you deal kindly with me. Now, this word in 2.12, dealt kindly. It is from the root word, this particular root word, which kesed, which is used, that's the English pronunciation pretty much. Um, There's emphasis on the last syllable. Uh, so I'm probably not pronouncing it the best way anyway. But 247 times in the Old Testament, usually of God's love for His people. When you talk about important words in the Old Testament, this is near the top of the list. It is a word that refers to God's long-suffering love. It is His patience. It is His mercy. It is His compassion. It is all of these things, His grace and goodness, all rolled up into one in this term. Now, here it describes Rahab's treatment of the spies. And she is asking that they treat her in the same way. I have shown you kindness. I have shown you, Kessid. You show it to me. You've, you've heard it at some point. I hope you have. If you haven't, I'll be glad to explain it. Me talk about Lex Holyomas. The idea that the punishment fits the crime. But it's not only used with punishment. It's also used with blessing. Here it's used with blessing. I have dealt kindly with you. Please deal kindly with me. It's used in blessing in the case that Anne mentioned earlier in Exodus 1. The Hebrew midwives refused to destroy the Hebrew children and God established households for them. God blessed them in a way consistent with how they blessed others. I want to tell you this theory, I mean, this, this, this language of Lex Talionis, um, it, it's helpful to me if you realize everything you do to others, for good or bad, is going to come back to you some way. Some way, sometime. And um, it's a good reminder. But she says, As you have dealt kindly, please deal kindly with me. And please give me a pledge of your truth or of your faithfulness. Which, by the way, that's an important word for God too. Which the, the same root word represented in verse 4, deal kindly and faithfully with me. But she says, I want you to spare me. I want you to spare my father, my mother, and my family. And they vow, yes, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you like you have dealt with me. Okay, let me mention this possibility. I'll I'll ask it first of all. Why did the spies go? Why did they go? Is it like a Gideon kind of situation? Like they're going to kind of see what the people are thinking? I think a little bit like you say Gideon. Gideon goes into the camp and he hears something encourages him. 
in Judges 7, verses uh, 9 through 14. That's a, and that's a good passage. He bowed low in worship when he heard that. And I do think it has that effect on him, and I think that's part of it. I do think that's part of the picture. There's more, there's more than one good answer to that. But could part of the answer be? And, and I don't know if this is right or not. But part of the answer, could it be that they're looking for anybody who might humble their hearts before God? You know, isn't that at least a possibility? That they go into the city doomed to disaster to see if anyone will humble their hearts. When, when we later, and at some point you've got to do this and study Joshua, and I don't know always the best point which to introduce it, how do we deal with these passages where Israel utterly destroyed their enemies? Young and old, all their animals, all their lives. How do you deal with that? Is that right? Is that fair? Is this good for God to command this? One thing we have to add to the equation is that the people of Jericho could have repented just like Rahab did. They could have repented. There could have been an opportunity to spare themselves. So even in God's worst judgments, He gives opportunities to repent. And, and I know that a lot of them would have, it would have been embarrassing for the king of Ai, or the king of Jericho to acknowledge, hey, we're defeated, let's all surrender. But he could have done it. He could have done it. Any comments right there or questions? And Well, just when you were talking about why did the people of Jericho, if they had heard all this stuff about God, why did they just continue to fight? It made me think about a news story I literally heard on my way here on the radio about... Um, this reporter had interviewed a Russian soldier who was in a hospital um, after a disastrous battle against Ukraine. Yes. So this was just within the last few weeks. Uh -huh. And the soldier was saying how um, betrayed they felt. He had 60 people in his platoon. 40 of them died because they were so ill-equipped and his commanders lied to, him, to them and told them, mm -hmm. you know, that this wasn't going to be a dangerous situation. And they were just, it was just a horrible a massacre that they, you know, were unwittingly walked into, and um, but he had um, a concussion, and so he said as soon as he was released from the hospital, he was sure he would be sent to the front lines, you know, back in the front lines. And the uh, reporter said, "Oh, you know, but aren't you just filled with bitterness, and you know, aren't you resentful about that?" And he said, "Well, I would just volunteer to go back. If they didn't." make me and it was just why and yeah. it kind of made me think of sort of like eastern mindset which it was would have been in the ancient yeah. Greece, yeah. where he said this is our life and he said yeah. this is the way we were raised whether your government mm -hmm. is cruel to you or not yeah when you're called you just get up and go yeah and he said so i'll just get up and i'll go back because yeah. i'm russian and that's what i'm supposed to do and that's kind that's, of that's interesting think you know that they in the in ancient times they kind of had a lot of that fatalistic mindset too so maybe there was you know part of that in it well you know we live in jericho and so yeah i'm, I'm from jericho I'm this from is what jericho, we do so if we're gonna get slaughtered <laughs> yeah. i'll just get slaughtered yeah i know I know. There's a lot of that kind of thing. Well, there, there are, I think there is in, in whatever group, whatever situation that, that, that uh, we're going to go down with the ship. 
Um, and maybe because, but maybe some. If you really knew it was wrong, though, if you really knew down deep it was wrong, you know, it seems like you'd be motivated enough to leave. But I think I, I, I tell you a verse I, I used to have trouble believing, but I really don't anymore. Is the verse that said that some of the leaders of the people believed in Jesus, but because they loved the approval of men more than the approval of God, they didn't confess Him. And I thought, surely nobody is that blind that they're going to live that way. But yeah, some people are. And it's always been that case. And sometimes it's even really educated, elite people who are doing that. And you see the same thing here. Same kind of mentality. Um, I think uh, yes. to, your, to your point about why maybe God allowed these two spies to go, I, I, I have a hard time with that because we don't see any evangelistic effort. Mm -hmm. But also in a sense, it's not a lot different than Jonah going to Nineveh or... Yeah. Uh, the angels go into to Lot yeah. in Sodom, yeah. and and um, there's an opportunity yeah. to rescue people yeah. from a a situation that is utterly condemned already. They're yeah. they're already under condemnation, but there's an opportunity mm -hmm. for anybody that's willing to take it. And in in Jonah's case, it was everybody, and in, in uh, Lot's case, it was nobody. Yeah. In Rahab's case, Rahab's case hurt her family. But, you know, you do see, even though it's not specifically alluded to, and I think Bob used this word earlier, God's providence all over this account where, you know, he may have led them to the very right person to they talk to. They may have not found hardly anybody else like Rahab who would have done this. And, and, and you're right, we don't see them engaging in a lot of evangelistic efforts. We, we don't really see uh, what all they did. But I don't know if Rahab may not have warned some of them after this. But she brings with her family into her house. Let's talk about those three conditions in verses 15 through 21. And they're, they're pretty simple. I, I don't know exactly where this conversation takes place. It may have taken place on the... Uh, on the roof that night as they're under the flax and they work out these details but what are the conditions on which they determined to spare her in verse 15 she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall so that she was living on the wall she said to the men go to the hill country so the pursuers will not happen upon you and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers return and then afterwards you may go on your way and the woman said to her we shall be free from this oath to you which you have made us swear unless when we come into the land you tie this scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down and gather to yourself into the house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household and it shall come about that anyone who goes out of the doors of your house into the street his blood will be on his own head and we shall be free but if anyone who is with you in the house his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him 
if you tell this business of ours, that we then we shall be free from the oath which you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so, uh, your words, so be it. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Okay, what are the conditions on which the spies agree that they will spare Rahab and her house? Seemed to me that I picked out three. What are the conditions? Oh, you all know at least one of them. Don't don't give us up. Don't yeah. tell them. Yeah, don't tell. <laughs> you can't tell. Don't tell. They keep bringing that up. In a way, um, that's that is a. Um, I, well, all of them are important. But but the next thing was what. First thing was tie cord. Yeah, tie the scarlet cord in the window. <coughs> tie the scarlet cord in the window, and then what else? Stay in the house. Yeah, bring all your family and all that you want spared in the house. Now, this in a way, do you remember when in Exodus 12, Israel experiences the Exodus? And they were to put blood on the doorpost of the house, and they were to remain in the house all night. Um, and when God sees the blood, He will pass over them. In a way, this is Rahab and her family's personal exodus. They they stay inside the house just like that earlier occasion in Exodus chapter twelve. Uh, they, they stay there, they remain there, but they, they leave the scarlet thread as a sign. Now, now obviously, um, this is something that apparently wouldn't create a lot of suspicion, you know, and everybody's not saying, you know, what's great, I've got that scarlet cord from her house. Um, and one writer even suggested, and this is speculation, that that may have been something there to indicate what kind of house it was, Anyway, as far as a, being a harlot's house, that's speculation. Don't write that down in your notes, but it's just a possibility. But, but these are the conditions. These are the conditions. And Rahab will meet these. Now, where is Rahab mentioned in the New Testament? The book of James. Okay. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Okay, not she's not mentioned Luke. Two, she's not mentioned Luke two, but she is mentioned in Matthew one. The genealogy. Matthew one. She is in the genealogy of Jesus. I think about that. Jesus is a descendant from Rahab. In Hebrews eleven, verse thirty-one, she is an example of faith by right by faith. Rahab didn't perish with the rest of the city, but she she took the spies into her house. And she's used as an example of obedience in James 2 and verse 25. And this example of obedience, an example of works in that passage. Now, 
here you see a beautiful story. She had, these passages are very closely aligned. She has the faith to trust God enough to put herself on the line and put her life on the line defending these spies and saving her people. And so this is what she's praised for here. Her faith and trust in God is worthy of contemplation. Again, it's a very risky thing she's doing. And she's in the genealogy of Jesus. From the very beginning... The, 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 the covenant with, a, with uh, Abraham included Gentiles. Do you remember? He was not only to circumcise his own family in Genesis 17, but all the servants he had there in the house. I mean, included Gentiles from the beginning. Included people not of his bloodline. And Rahab makes that genealogy. Ruth makes that genealogy. And God was going to bless all nations through Jesus. Now what Mindy said earlier, she said that it has the effect, like Gideon came back from the Midianite camp and he knew that this increased his faith, that God would give him the land. We see the same thing here. In verse 22, they departed and came to the hill country and remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. Now the pursuers had sought them all along the road but had not found them. Then the two men returned and came from the hill country, crossed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and they related to him all that had happened to him. And they said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land, the, the, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. Their hearts have melted in fear. It increases their assurance that God is going to give them the whole land. Any thoughts as we close? I'm just wondering about the, the hardest thing to me is that 